Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I always like to remind you, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with uh, two excellent newsletter writers, Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. That's a letter that's geared towards commodities and currency trading and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do like to tell you that we also have a special introductory offer that you can take advantage of if you are not familiar with these three publications. Each separately, you can order them, and you can call Claudio Bossi in New York for that number, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. We want to, I also like to tell you that the best site to go to to keep track of everything that I do, including accessing this radio show at the Voice America Business Channel, is to go to, uh, is to go to Jay Taylor Media. That's J-A-Y Taylor Media.com. Uh, also I'd like to remind you that, uh, this weekend, coming this weekend, uh, is the Wealth Protection Conference, uh, that's, uh, held in Tempe, Arizona. I would urge you to consider going to this. It's one of my favorite, I call it my favorite conference because I don't get head up, hit up with a lot of companies hoping to get me to write about them, but rather uh, uh, it is a, a, a chance for me to sit and listen to some excellent speakers uh, like Ian McAvity, like, um, uh, like Arch Crawford, uh, Roger Wiegand will be there as well. Uh, some excellent, very, very, Jim Lyles is another person we've had on this show that will be there. A lot of really excellent speakers, and uh, it's really a good time. To sign up for that, you can call 800-494-4149, 800-494-4149. Uh, locally, you can call 480-820-5877, 480-820-5877. Um, also, uh, you can go to buysilvernow.com. Buy silvernow.com. 
Well, uh, this week um, we are going to uh, be talking to a number of very interesting guests, but before I get to that, let me just uh, thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, American Manganese, Arroway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold are our sponsors. Um, there is a growing recognition, I believe, among many, many people that something has gone horribly wrong in the global economy. And I had the privilege of interviewing this past week Richard Duncan. He is the author of The Dollar Crisis. That was a book that was written in 2003 in which he predicted or forecast some big troubles ahead for the dollar and for the global economy. And his newest book is called The New Depression. Uh, this is a book, uh, actually the subtitle is a very interesting subtitle as well. Uh, it is called um, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy. The New Depression, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy. Um, so there is a, a growing awareness that, that things are coming unglued in the global economy. And Duncan makes a very good case that we are on the edge of something, potentially something much worse than what our grandfathers faced in the Great Depression of the 1930s because of the use of fiat money on a global scale. Duncan was certainly a mainstream guy. He served as a global head of investment strategy at ABN AMRO Asset Management in London. He worked for the World Bank in Washington, D.C. He headed up an equity research department in Bangkok uh, and consulted for the IMF. So his credentials are as mainstream as they get. Uh, though he does not, uh, he does offer some hope for the future uh, and very unconventional and perhaps controversial ideas, especially to Austrian economic thinkers. Rick, uh, Mr. Duncan does uh, worry that we are uh, that are that we're really staring into the abyss, and that unless we do something uh, fairly quickly, we could be in really big trouble. So next week, Richard Duncan, I don't think you're going to want to miss. Uh, his insights, uh, controversial or not, they are really very, very interesting and I think important to listen to. Uh, one of my main guests today is Danielle Park, and she is the author of an excellent book on investing for non-professional investors uh, and, and for people that really, well, professional investors as well as, as people that have regular jobs to do and don't have the time to sit around uh, and uh, and stare at the, the screens and think about investing all day long. Um, her book is uh, Juggling Dynamite. It is um, a, an excellent book. It was written a few years ago. I know Danielle Park very well because she uh, frequently um, is uh, she she is frequently on the show uh, at the various shows with me. Uh, and my wife is just telling me that you, I know her so well that I don't even pronounce her name right. It's Danielle Parks. So she will be with me uh, uh, shortly uh, in the half hour uh, and uh, to talk about her book, Juggling Dynamite. But as I say, she has some excellent ideas uh, and some excellent advice, more than ideas, about uh, not only how to approach investing, but to how, uh, how to approach life in general uh, for optimizing happiness and satisfaction through life. It isn't necessarily uh, in making money. Um, we uh, we will also be talking to um, in the second hour of today. We'll be talking to Julian Phillips, um, and we're going to talk to Julian about something that is very very important to all of us uh, in the uh, in the investing industry, especially those that listen to this show, especially those of us who believe that you need to own gold uh, as a protector of wealth. 
certainly one of the main concerns that American investors, American holders of gold have is that there has been a very dangerous precedent set against liberty, against uh, private property, against owning gold that was set by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the Great Depression, and they actually confiscated gold. Uh, the uh, the penalty at that time was uh, 10 years in jail and a $10,000 fine if you did not uh, hand over your gold to the government in exchange for $28 and some change at that time. Shortly after the government confiscated it, they increased the value of gold to $35 an ounce. But that precedent has been set, certainly not something that's constitutional in my view, I don't see how in the world the government can just go in and confiscate wealth, but of course government does it all the time through taxation, don't they? And they do it in a more pernicious way. They create money out of thin air. The Federal Reserve inflates and debases our currency and steals wealth. They do it another way by keeping the interest rates at artificially low levels and thereby robbing savers, penalizing people who are frugal and who save, uh, and rewarding people who are spendthrifts and who are who, who really don't. Uh, live responsibly. Well, this is uh, editorializing, I suppose, perhaps, but we're going to talk to Julian Phillips in the second hour of today's show. Uh, he'll talk to us about whether or not he believes this is a, a risk, uh, that is confiscation of gold again, now that gold is on the rise. And as he and many of us believe the, uh, the, fa- the paper cur- currency system is in trouble, and very likely will be uh, taken away from us sometime in the not-too-distant future, or will be, uh, let's say, not taken away, but will basically self-destruct in the not-too-distant future. Um, I often talk about the need to own gold mining shares. I have been really concerned, though, recently about gold mining shares at a time when equity prices are uh, are, are very weak and when it's very difficult to raise capital. Therefore, I have been emphasizing to my own subscribers and talking about it on this show the need to own companies that have cash flow, companies that are producing profits, so they don't have to go back to the markets and issue endless numbers of shares and dilute the early shareholders out of existence. This is really the biggest risk that I see among the exploration stocks uh, in the Canadian mining sector or any mining sector uh, in, in markets that are so weak as this. Well, I believe the same philosophy holds also for energy companies. I am also believing that we have a good chance to, uh, to do very, very well in the energy sector uh, in the not-too-distant uh, f- uh, future. Actually, I think some of the companies that we are talking about on this show, Chen Lin talks about from time to time, uh, are in the energy sector. His favorites are, in fact, two energy companies that I'll probably mention at the last end of this show. But I'm very, very pleased to have with me today one company that has become a sponsor, one non-gold mining company that's become a sponsor, and that's Airway Energy uh, Inc. And this is a smaller company operating in Canada, but it already has very nice cash flows, growing cash flows, and relative to its market cap, I think a very attractive uh, opportunity at company that you're going to want to take a look at, uh, especially if it can grow its earnings going forward. So we're going to have with me right after the break in another minute or so, we're going to be talking to uh, the president and CEO of that company, Chris Cooper. Are things really getting better as the mainstream media would have us believe? Well, uh, I think that is very, very debatable. Um, certainly, we read the headlines in today's Financial Times. Leaders face austerity backlash as the main heading, and under the subheadings, uh, Germany in, uh, German industry hit declining demand. Uh, Netherlands uh, government collapses after a fiscal clash, and in France, Sarkozy uh, scrambles after this first round defeat. 
the right wing wants to hold on to property rights. The left wing wants to continue getting a free lunch. Uh, meanwhile, the bankers get bailed out. Uh, the global economy scene is not looking good. And meanwhile, uh, the oppression of our civil liberties and rights are of concern, certainly, to a growing number of people who are really looking at what's going on. On page two of today's Financial Times, there was a discussion about Obama who is unveiling web sanctions. In other words, taking away the one thing that, that really sort of threatens uh, the establishment and the status quo is the web. The mainstream media is pretty much owned by the status quo, so the one thing that people have to sort of examine and hold in check uh, the propaganda and the lies of the mainstream is really uh, the, uh, the Internet. And one of the people who has benefited most in the political scene from the Internet has been Ron Paul. And Ron Paul uh, is uh, perhaps uh, one of the reasons that the uh, establishment is looking to uh, suppress the Internet. Ron Paul is doing extremely well. I mean, this is not something that you would hear from the mainstream media. But uh, Fox News said yesterday that it looks like Ron Paul could very well be the winner in the Iowa caucus. Well, isn't that funny? We had, um, wasn't Mitt Romney the winner? And then they changed their mind and said no, Rick Santorum was the winner. And now when it comes down, push comes to shove, it is really the people that, um, that, go to the, that, that are participating in the primaries, uh, that is, uh, the, the delegates that decide in some of these caucus states, in these caucus states, who uh, they are going to support for president. Looks like Ron Paul uh, could very well come out the winner in Iowa, and he's doing it very, very well. Well, in the last uh, ha- half hour of today's show, I'm going to play uh, a soundbite from Ron Paul, who was on... Uh, CNBC yesterday, uh, and I think it's very, very interesting, very encouraging that, uh, as well as the fact that uh, another very bright spot is the energy picture in North America, and when we come back after the break, we're going to be talking to Chris Cooper of Airway Energy, Inc. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Cooper. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Chris Cooper. He is the president and CEO of Arroway Energy Corp. This is a young but cash flow positive oil and gas producer and uh, that is that I just ran into at a Cambridge House conference recently in Calgary. Uh, and uh, sort of interesting to note, uh, I, I think... Uh, I'm very, very focused on companies that are cash flow positive. We uh, we don't want to be holding companies that have to go out and issue endless numbers of shares to keep a heartbeat, and that seems to be what a lot of the, uh, certainly the mining companies are involved with, and a lot of the energy companies are in the same boat, but not this one. Uh, this is a company that uh, has started uh, flowing cash, doing well with its oil and gas, and we think uh, has a lot of upside potential. We're going to be talking to Chris in just a second. I just want to remind you a little bit about this company. Its uh, trading symbol in Canada is ARW, trades in the U.S. over-the-counter market, uh, ARWJF, if I have that correct. Uh, there's approximately 54.3 million shares outstanding. When I looked earlier today, it was trading at $0.67, cents, giving it a market cap of around $36.4 million. Welcome, Chris, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Really good to have you. Um, I ran into your IR person uh, at the show in Cambridge, uh, the Cambridge House show in Calgary, and uh, she came up with a slogan I think really makes a lot of sense. It's kind of funny, but I think it makes a lot of sense. She said, you know, Jay, cash is king, but cash flow is King Kong. And I thought that was kind of funny, and it's something that kind of stuck, but I think it really is important because a lot of the companies in the resource sector do have some cash, uh, if we're going into a bad market, they can sustain themselves for a while. But the companies that can keep that cash flowing obviously are in a much better shape than uh, than those that just have some temporary cash on uh, in the bank. 
So we're really looking very much at companies like yours. I believe your company is quite young. Could you tell us um, a little bit about the background of the company? Is it, is it a fairly new company? Yes, absolutely. We started the company in September of 2010, and um, <clears throat> we're located up in the Peace River Arch area of northern Alberta. And it was you know, started on a, on a small four-section farm-in with a private company uh, where we're the, the non-operating joint venture partner. Uh, we were paying at that time 75% of all costs uh, to earn 50% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, fast-forwarding t- to today, we've grown the company from that four sections to 121 sections, or, you know, if you want to translate that into acres, it's mm-hmm. over 77,000 acres or mm-hmm. 31,000 hectares. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a really, really large contig- t- contiguous block of land uh, surrounded by five majors, um, with uh, current production of approximately 850 BOE a day of a couple of weeks ago. And, and as a result of the low natural gas prices in uh, Alberta, which are now at, at around the $1.50 level, we have since shut in all of our gas production. So, so really today we're producing 650 BOE a day, of which 90% is oil. So we're very, very focused, uh, very oil-focused company um, you know, we shut in our gas, so we're not depleting our huge gas reserves at such low prices. And, you know, we can easily turn that gas back on um, when, the, when the price recovers. And, uh, you know, then we can, then we can start uh, depleting our, our, huge reserve, our huge gas reserves at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, while we're on that topic, what about the gas uh, price and, and how long is it going to take for that to recover? Because it is, for everything that I hear, there's a, quite a glut. Of, uh, of new natural gas that's coming onto the market or that is being uh, produced. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I, I thought that it was a it was a blip and that gas would uh, recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now, a couple of years later, it's just it's it's, it's the price has deteriorated further. Um, but you know, I uh, I hear the same things and read a lot of the same uh, probably the same articles that you're reading. It's just the price of natural gas. Uh, in the future does not look uh, very rosy at this point, that's for sure. And, you know, we can, we can produce natural gas typically cheaper than most companies because our joint venture partner owns all the infrastructure, the gas plant. You know, I was able to negotiate a price where we're paying the same amount as our joint venture partner uh, for our gas gathering and transportation. So, you know, we do have a competitive advantage in a lot of other companies for gas, but you know, at this point, it, you know, where the, the price is today, it just doesn't make sense to produce your gas and deplete your reserves um, at this level. So we're, we're, we're 100% focused on oil now. Of course. Well, it is good news for the, uh, for the North American economy, for sure, this low gas price. I think it's certainly one of the bright spots, but for those of you that's producing it. But it's good you have a lot of oil as well, and the oil prices are, are very strong right now. What's your outlook for oil? Um, I'm I'm very bullish on oil. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty comfortable with this hundred hundred dollar level where it's at now. And then if you know you add in some of the political instability around the world with um, North Korea and what's happening in in Iran, I just, you know if there's any kind of military threats there at all, I think you're going to see a big jump in the price of oil. Um, it's been great for us. You know, we've been cash flow positive for the last three quarters. Uh, Q4 2011, we earned eight hundred twenty two thousand. Q1 of 2012, we had net income of 696,000. In our last quarter, when you pull out all the non-cash items, you know we made uh, over 200 million dollars or five cents a share. So we're, 
you know, I guess back to what you said earlier, uh, you know, cash is king and cash flow is King Kong. Five cents a share uh, for a company that's selling. That was five cents a share when? During what period? Um, that's after you pull out the non-cash item. So we have to take a non-cash charge on depletion. For the, the year. non-cash charge for our um, stock-based compensation. So we, we pull those items out and we're, you know, that we're earning five cents a share in Q2. In Q2, Okay. Uh, possible uh, possibilities of annualizing that over a whole year? I mean, you, you never know. Uh, yeah, well, year, we've but... set a goal. Um, you know, we, every year we try and set goals. We set a goal to exit 2012, and that's exit uh, December 2012, um, at about 1,200 BOE a day of production net to us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we know we're looking to be, you know, 90 to 95% oil weighted. And, uh, you know, as far as the earnings per share, we set a target of 12 cents uh, earnings per share for 2012. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that, um, that we can achieve for sure. Mm-hmm. Not too bad for a stock that's selling at 67 cents or so, I guess, today. Um, well, yeah, the markets, uh, you know, the, the equity markets have, have been hit pretty hard here in the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you know, I look at our stock price, and I, I know I don't. I don't typically get too nervous as a typical retail investor would would because you know I know that our our um, you know our fundamentals are strong. We have strong cash flow. Uh, we're making money. We are fully financed through our 2012 uh, drill program. The last mm-hmm. financing this company did was in December of 2010. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to really limit the the uh, dilution to our current shareholders, and um, you drill out of our cash flow and our uh, our current bank line. And we will be able to achieve that right through our 2012 drill program. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I like to see in any company I'm following is a management that under-promises and over-delivers. And I noticed that I think you were providing guidance last year of perhaps 600 barrels a day by the end of the year, and you reached uh, 660 barrels of oil a day. So I, I, I think that you're suggesting now that uh, your target is 1,200 barrels this year, so I suppose that gives you some credibility having hit last year, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think yeah, that's a- I, mean, I, I agree. I, I try not to set uh, goals that are, um, you know, unattainable, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're pretty comfortable that we can get to 1,200 BOE a day this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a very uh, oil-focused drill program. Um, you know, we've just, just completed a 52-square-kilometer 3D seismic program over a large portion of our land, and we've identified a number of, of really exciting drill prospects that we're going to go after here um, probably in the next couple of weeks. Okay. What, how many, uh, can you tell our listeners what your reserves are right now? Well, you know what, as we, when we first started the company, we had a, we had a reserve report done um, where we just had some early production. So typically to get a big reserve number, you need to have at least you know, six to 12 months of, of good production history. Mm-hmm. So we only had, I believe, one well on at the time when we had our reserve report. Mm-hmm. And that was in June 30, um, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't get the big reserves that we were hoping for. We only, well, not that we knew we wouldn't get a huge reserve number. We only got 138,000 barrels of oil equivalent, mm-hmm. which we produced, um, we produced those reserves out in the first six months of uh, our production of the, of the wells that we had on, on production at that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess you'd look forward to our next reserve report, which will probably be completed uh, second, third week of July, I'm hoping, and mm-hmm. that'll be a bigger indication of the kind of reserves that the company has built. Mm-hmm. How many wells do you have now? How many, how many are, uh, are producing, and 
Um, you know, are these are these these wells have multiple pay zones? Yeah, so we uh, we have about eight wells that are producing right now. Um, you know, typically every well that we go ahead and drill, we we have our initial prospect or the deeper, I guess you'd call it the big pay zone. But we always make sure that we have about three or four other shallower zones in the well bore. Therefore, if our if our big target zone is not um, is not able to produce oil, we can go up hole and produce out of one of the less riskier zones, therefore um, increasing our chance of success and increasing the chance of an economic well. So we're, you know, we're pretty uh, diligent when it comes to drill- drilling these type of wells. We want to make sure that uh, there is a high probability of success. Do you have any sense of the uh, life expectancy and the production profile of, uh, of these wells? I mean, do they have long sure. lives? Or- yeah, yeah, absolutely. On our, on our uh, deeper Leduc-type wells, they can produce anywhere from you know, seven to eight years. Um, after about a year and a half, they'll probably uh, decline at about a 15 to 20% uh, per year type rate. Um, but we, we tend to, again, extend the life of these wells by, you know, upon the depletion of our our big zones, we then we will go up hole and produce from a shallower zone. So, you know, really you can get these well produ- wells producing anywhere from you know, 10 to 15 years if, if you have a number of prospective uh, shallower zones in these wells. Um, so you're located in the, in the Peace River area. You have a huge, um, a huge land base there uh, of contiguous claims. Uh, what, you know, one of the things that I would think investors would want to be aware of, you know, producing, gold, uh, producing oil, being able to show that it's in the ground is one thing, being able to have the infrastructure in place to produce it. I think you indicated that you're fortunate in that regard. Would you care to comment a little bit about the infrastructure that's in place? And as you expand production, or, or maybe you want to talk a little bit about the, the potential to expand production and, and to drill and explore that vast area you have. But then uh, if you're successful in that regard, are there pipelines? Is there a distribution system in place that will allow you to sell it? Right. Yes. Yeah. So our um, again, our joint venture partner has uh, controls the gathering facility and the and the gathering plant and and all the pipeline in the area. I think it, in total there's about uh, 70 kilometers of of pipeline that uh, runs directly through our property. Um, so any wells that we're drilling are very close to that pipeline. It can be tied in immediately. And again, you know, we're guaranteed access into the system. Um, you know, that's a, that, uh, to, to have guaranteed access to infrastructure this far north in Alberta is, is an integral part of the success of this company in that a lot of times companies can go up, go up in this area and drill a well and not have control of their own infrastructure and they're having to tie into, um, you know, a third party. And the third party is generally in control because they can charge that company anything they want mm-hmm. um, to take their production. So, you know, because we have that price established with our joint venture partner, we have a great relationship with them. We're guaranteed access. It, uh, it I think it gives us a competitive advantage um, as opposed to other juniors in the area, for sure. I noticed that you recently exercised a, a share buyback, I believe. And um, why so if you have uh, lots of growth prospects? Uh, yeah, we did a normal course issuer bid uh, a couple months ago. And, you know, we felt that, um, you know, we, we saw that the markets were, we thought anyway, that the markets were going to start seeing a bit of weakness. And we felt that we were, uh, we were, you know, extremely undervalued and we still think we're undervalued. And so, um, you know, we, we instituted a, 
a, a share buyback program, and uh, consequently, or subsequently, sorry, we have uh, we have purchased some shares back, and and we just feel it's a, you know, it it, it shows a good uh, a we have the cash to do it, and um, it just signals to our shareholders that we are, you know, in a in a position of strength with our cash, and we feel that we're undervalued, and you know, it again it helps out the uh, the retail investors as well because we're, again we're actually not diluting the company we're um, buying back the shares and they'll be cancelled so we're we're bringing down the share count and uh, which provide to a higher value for the company in the long run um, do you would uh, do insiders own a good uh, chunk of this company yeah um, the insider group controls about uh, 22% of the company and that's the insiders and the founders of the company so we uh, you know we have pretty good a pretty good chunk of the company for sure yeah, I always like to see that. We like to see uh, the uh, manager's uh, interest aligned with those of the shareholders for sure. So it's it's good to hear that. Well, you certainly do have an interesting story. Uh, anything else you'd like to mention to our listeners before we conclude our discussion today? Uh, no, I just you know I, I think it's really important to uh, be focused on the fact that we are an oil focused company. We are cash flow positive. We have an aggressive program coming up for 2012. And, uh, you know, if we can continue on success of this company and get to our 1,200 BOE a day mark, we're uh, essentially doubling the size of the company from last year. So hopefully the equity markets will improve, and uh, that will be reflected in our share price. And your website so our listeners can follow your progress. It's uh, www.arrowayenergy.com. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for being with us. We'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, with Danielle Park. Uh, she's going to talk to us about juggling dynamite. Well, it, uh, not exactly. It's about the dynamite that you have to face in these treacherous markets. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Danielle Park. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the DuParquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Danielle Park. She has a bunch of letters behind her names. I won't bother to read them all because, uh, more important than that, she has a lot of wisdom in her head. We can have degrees behind her names, and we can have empty heads, I suppose, but Danielle Park isn't one of those people. Uh, she is the president and portfolio manager of Venable Park Investment Council uh, in uh, Barrie, Ontario, Canada. With over 20 years of professional consulting experience, uh, she uh, is a lawyer as well as a chartered financial analyst uh, and a financial author. She is a regular guest on North American media and popular keynote speaker in investment markets and money, and she is the author of the best-selling book, uh, as I noted a moment ago, Juggling Dynamite. It's a popular finan- she also has a popular financial blog at jugglingdynamite.com. Now, her book, I find, is a very easy read. It is, uh, it's a book on investing, uh, not written so much for savvy professional investors as it is for just people that are, have busy lives and they're, they're busy just earning a living and doing what they have to do uh, throughout life. But she encourages everybody to be, uh, to be involved in their investment decision-making and not just hand it over to, uh, to the professionals. Uh, and we'll uh, talk to her why that's uh, so important in, in a minute. Uh, just a, a couple of um, a couple of notes and um, uh, what people have said about juggling dynamite. Uh, I think the best uh, the best quote is from the Toronto Sun. They said Park manages not uh, to not only explain finance as well for the average person, she also manages to entertain and educate while cutting through the clutter of inf- information she knows every investor faces. So uh, welcome, Danielle, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Really good to have you with me. Thanks, Jay. Nice to be with you. It is great. Uh, lots of things in your book, and I would uh, tell listeners that it is a fun read. You know, you, sometimes you have to struggle through stuff, that, but Danielle writes in a way that's very, it's a very easy read, and uh, it's just chock full of practical things in life, not only investing, but, you know, philosophically how we should approach life and uh, to maximize it. Uh, we have a short run through here, 70, 80, 90 years if we're, if we're fortunate and if we're healthy. Uh, but, um, you know, a lot of people work very, very hard and they put everything they've got into maximizing their income and not necessarily their enjoyment. But let's get to uh, the book, the first chapter especially, um, I think is, uh, the first chapter is titled The Truth About Human Nature. Uh, Danielle, your book was written five years ago, but human nature hasn't changed that much in five years. Uh, you talk about generally two camps that investors fall into. Both, uh, both of them bring their own specific risks. The first camp is, uh, quote, I know nothing about money, so I will just hand it off to an expert and stop thinking about it. What is the risk of walking away and letting experts, so-called experts, handle your finances? Yeah, well, I, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been around experts, and I got to tell you that up close, that <laughs> they can be very disappointing. Um, I have been marveled over the years at people that have PhDs and CFAs and every possible credential, and yet they have no personal discipline around money in their own life, 
very often. Uh, they also often have no risk management acumen, so mm-hmm. they're very good at, um, you know, picking risk and strapping it on and hoping for the best, but they aren't very good at seeing when it's not working. They aren't very good at uh, shifting tact when need be within whatever market cycle we're in and, you know, going to a more defensive mode. I find people are uh, too um, intellectually confident very often and not enough about worrying about the downside. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you pair that up with people who in the general population are are typically numerically challenged. I mean, mm-hmm. most people have either an aversion to numbers and math or they think that they aren't good at it. So they, you know, maybe someone told them that somewhere back along the line said, oh, you know, you're not good at math or whatever. I find a lot of people really just uh, blindly adopt those ideas and, and don't take it or make it part of their... Um, their understanding. So when you couple those two things of an overly confident intellectual, you know, person with credentials, but no actual discipline or perhaps, um, you know, wisdom about what they're doing with people who blindly follow, you get the financial markets and the financial world that we live in today. And I think it's very much why we've had so much trouble develop in the last mm-hmm. a few, couple of decades and where we are today in terms of the whole debt uh, kerfuffle in the world has been, you know, that those two sides of that coin. So I know not everyone can be uh, a PhD in economics, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't need to be to be mm-hmm. smart about money. And mm-hmm. it's uh, trying to unlearn a lot of the marketing stuff that we've been taught mm-hmm. that will help us to sort of be set free in this. Amen to that one. I would I would agree with you on that for sure. So it's a matter of not being passive. It's a matter of taking an interest and, and being aware of what's going on, even if you can't manage your money actively yourself every day. It's a matter of, of it's also, caring. Yeah, it's also taking personal responsibility. So here's a little thing I've noticed over the last few years. How we got into this pickle with all this financial architecture, you know, where people mm-hmm. were, uh, you know, gaming their credit score, as an example. And there was whole firms devised to help you game your credit score or, you know, make your credit score look better than it was because you were in the business of loan taking. You know, yeah. like individuals were acting as if loans were candy that were people were giving them out and your whole life depended upon your ability to secure financing. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a very dangerous path, and we've learned that through history many times in the credit cycle. It's typically, you know, something that ends up in a bubble and a burst. And then after that, people usually adopt a different behavioral approach, which says, you know what, I don't want more credit. I don't want loans. I'm in a position of strength when I live on my own cash flow, when I buy less and save more. That's how you actually build financial strength over time. And so this whole reliance on financial architects, or engineers was all really a reflection of our own laziness in some way, our own um, lack of discipline, our own not wanting to know the truth, which was that we weren't very well off, that mm-hmm. we needed to really um, not buy all the Gucci bags, you know, <laughs> just uh, live on less and more modest life and exert your energy in positive ways. So another example of that is, you know, um, this whole eating out as an example, eating mm-hmm. out, spending money, buying things on credit cards in order to live this high life, which in the end destroys your health. Mm -hmm. Because so many people in the Western world are now dying of overeating, 
which is such an irony in a mm. world where in the developing countries people are you know struggling struggling to get a meal. So you have to really say to yourself, if money is an exchange of energy, of energy, like it's energy you've stored from your efforts and work, and you now expend that energy in exchange for things you need in your life, um, how wise is it to give that energy away for things that are actually harming you, like too many consumer goods filling your, your garage or bad food polluting your body? Mm-hmm. And in the end, you know, if you if you can see that this is the way it is, you can sort of alter your choices. And you know, the end the end goal, I think, is to end up with a life where you know that the tail is not wagging the dog. Right? Mm-hmm. You are actually deciding your own steps, and you're not mm-hmm. at the whim of a banker or you know someone who's withholding credit. But you're in a position of of your own power. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, and understanding your own power is one thing. I think you talk in the book also about uh, sort of subconscious uh, desires or, let's say, impulses rather than leaving, uh, allowing our intellects to guide us. We, uh, we get sort of sucked into different things. Uh, before emotional, to, right. Like yeah, instead emotional. of the frontal lobe where hmm. the, the logic-based center can make certain decisions, but the emotional side often struggles with the right thing to do. Right. So... Uh, I, I want to get to you know solutions for that. If you can, if you can give us some five easy solutions or whatever, how we can control uh, our uh, our behavior in a rational way rather than in an emotional way. But yeah, I just would like to talk a, a little bit about the second major sort of general camp that you talked about. Uh, the first was sort of the passive investor that says, oh, I don't know anything. I'll just hand it over to an expert. The other one was people that are very smart in certain areas of their lives. Maybe they have a, a good job or something, and so they think if they're, you know, if they're good doctors or they're smart in one area or another, they must also be uh, fantastic investors. You note that there's a smaller number of those kind of people around, but would you care to just comment on that a little bit? And then also uh, sort of in connection with that, you had a wonderful quote from uh, John Kenneth Galbraith there that I thought was very worth uh, noting. But if you just talk maybe about the second general camp, people that fall into that category. Yeah, so again, in a world that worships wealth and people who appear to have money, um, I call it, you know, um, the appearance of wealth is really um, most of what everyone goes on. You assume that someone driving a BMW and living in a flashy house has money. In -hmm. fact, it may be entirely financed, right? But on the other hand, other ways that people get money are not necessarily uh, all um, above board. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. steal money. Sometimes they take it, uh, you know, uh, on on some undue advantage. Maybe, you know, there's there's various ways that you get it. And, And retaining it once you get it is really a lot harder than people think. So what I've noted over the years, and this is all based on, you know, the, the, the fortunate position I've had of being, you know, uh, coming into the law finance world more than 20 years ago, knowing absolutely nothing and really learning everything the hard way, by the way, um, but seeing individuals up close who others would think of as, you know, a very wise, uh, a very uh, successful engineer or dentist or doctor or something like that. And that person is uh, develops a skill and invest a lot of time educating themselves in a particular field. That then translates into making money, which is great. But they then make the catastrophic assumption that because they're so smart and because they've been paid so well for their efforts, they therefore know a lot about money in general, or they know how to passively invest in things, which is a totally different dynamic than building your own discipline, skill, work, business, profession. You know, So I think that it's... it's um, 
it's important for people to understand that there's a lot more to it than, you know, just on first blush what may seem. Mm-hmm. So there's a, sort of an arrogance or a uh, sometimes, um, I don't know, I just thought the, the quote from John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, and I'll, I'll just read it here because I think it's so good. The most constant impediment to our financial success is human nature. We are impulsive animals by origin and nature. We can be enormously influenced by emotional swings and faulty logic. It is difficult to maintain an objective self-view, and this is especially true when it comes to our money, end of quote. I thought that was a wonderful uh, insight by John Kenneth Galbraith, who you mentioned uh, in the uh, early part of your book, uh, was very influential uh, to you. Yeah, well, he was an Ontario farm boy. You know, um, I, I'm a granddaughter of uh, Ontario farmers myself. My mm-hmm. parents were basic working people, teachers, and you know, masons, and no one knew anything about finance. And I only went on in school because everyone said, you know, you're good at school, you should go on, kind of thing. So I really came at it from an extremely naive position. Um, but I think in the end, it was a gift uh, because. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, uh, at the beginning, you're sort of enamored of the structure of everything. It all seems very important and and very intelligent. And then when you start to see the cracks as you go along, you start to ask more questions and say, wait a minute, um, how is this serving the client, for example? Or how is this serving the life that somebody wants to have or health or family connection? And when you see that most things are destructive, it really starts to make you question the system. And I think that that's healthy. You know, um, it, I, I guess I guess more than anything, I try and impart to people that no one's above this in my view. Mm-hmm. It's not like if you're... You know, if you have an IQ of something, you're going to be safe. It's not if you're, you know, particularly educated, you're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. It's it's this obsession we have to we have to constantly check our ego and our hubris. You know, mm-hmm. our blind faith and belief in in you know the intelligence of any one person. Sometimes we put all our chips on a leader, for example, or you know, a, a head of a company. I've heard this over the years from investors many times. They'll be smitten with a particular, you know leader of a company mm-hmm. and they'll sort of double down a lot of money in that one particular area because they believe so passionately in the person and very often that's completely detrimental to them over time because you know you have to have I guess the other thing is we're surrounded by salesmanship in the financial business. Everyone's trying to give you the secret to getting rich, basically. You know, that's the really the product that we sell in the financial business when you're on in a in a whether you're a corporation trying to get investors and bring in capital or whether you're, you know, a, a money manager or a fund manager, they're basically all trying to tell people, "Listen, you know, I'll help you get wealthy." And I think what I try and tell people is actually that's a, a misnomer. I think the real focus of a valuable a money manager is someone who helps you stay wealthy over mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. who will tell you, listen, here's the trick. Avoid debt. Pay it off as fast as you can. Live within your means. Build up your savings. Don't take huge risk. You know, once you double down and put the risk in your business and your and your profession, as we all must do to de- to develop our skill set, we put a lot of risk in our own personal business or profession. But once you get capital there, have the good sense to protect it. Don't mm-hmm. keep throwing it at you know lots of risk and taking down passive bets in other people's companies because you're very likely going to just destroy your capital once you've got it. Yeah, the get-rich-quick uh, temptation, I guess. The uh, it is true, I believe, in investing that the uh, that the tortoise beats the hare, 
Uh, it is the, the slow but steady. It's as much uh, what you don't lose in down markets as what you make in up markets, I suppose. But there is Absolutely. This... And, and, you know, that's the other thing so much about the money business is all about telling you about the upside, and no one manages the downside, Jay. <laughs> Nobody looks no. for the inevitable pullbacks, which are part of every business cycle. No one plans for recessions. No politicians factor in recessions in their budget at projections. Mm-hmm. And yet they are a routine and regular recurring piece of this market cycle or business cycle, and especially when you're in a deleveraging period following a big credit bubble like we've been now for the last decade. We're in a secular bear, you know, an Mm -hmm. extra long period uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of stocks, in terms of how stock markets move, and yet you still have, you know, the the consensus view being this passive allocating to risk markets and as if that's going to help anyone, and it hasn't helped people, it's hurt them, and yet that's the business model and there's no sort of other options very often uh, reflected on. So, yeah, not take a lot of risk. That is really the art of it. Uh, I always think of it as a snowball. You know, you build your snowball through your work and savings and personal discipline and not spending more than you earn, and then you roll that ball very carefully with your risk management because if you blow a chunk off of it, it's very hard to rebuild then. It Mm -hmm. takes a lot of time and energy. And the other thing, it takes a huge emotional cost. So people end up, you know, suffering the fallout from those decisions and often embarrassment and sometimes, you know, personal solvency problems, divorce, health issues, all of it. Mm -hmm. And if they could just take a more humble, careful approach from the beginning, you know, they would end up so much farther ahead than a lot of blind risk. There's no doubt that uh, telling people to sell stocks and take losses rather than to um, uh, then try to to win them back at some points is is the most unpopular uh, advice you can give. I just recently suggested to my subscribers they they sell 75% of their equity holdings and build cash. It was about the same time that you and I were on a panel discussion, and that's why I was nodding my head when I heard you talk. Where do you, so you think we're in a in a bear market, a secular bear market that started what back in 2000. Yeah. I mean, you, you just answered one of the questions I had for you. Thank you for that. And uh, wh- where are we in this cycle now? Do we still have a ways to go, in your view, in this in this um, uh, well, secular bear? Yeah. Typically, they last about 17 years. These periods, and they come one after a secular bull run, like we saw from 1982 to 99, and then it's routinely typical that you get another period after that, which is about as long and where conditions are completely the opposite of the favorable conditions you saw in the prior secular bull phase. I talk about that in the book a lot because um, it is actually completely possible to anticipate these things. It's not, you know, the worst thing you can do is shut your brain off or listen to the long always crowd which says, mm-hmm. oh, it's impossible to time anything you can't possibly. Well, you know what? If, you, if it's impossible to time it and you can't think and you can't protect yourself, then you're better to stay out of it completely. Mm-hmm. Because this sort of strapping yourself on a roller coaster is a nightmare. And the older you get, it's even worse, right? Because you don't have the time to build back. And you've already got the lump sum, mostly, you know, the bulk of your life savings by the time you're in your 50s and 60s. You simply can't keep tossing it to the wind or you're going to end up, you know, far behind. And that's what we've seen because the secular bear has disappointed people because we've had two big market cycles in this. We had two good buying opportunities, which were 2002-03, and then we had another one in 09. But more importantly, we had excellent selling opportunities in there, Mm -hmm. 07. 
And again, you know, in the in the last year, I would say, you know, there, I think that the risk is we're heading into another global recession here. And certainly stock markets haven't been doing well now and, and have hurt people again for the last couple of years. So, it, you know, understanding the climate, the, whether you're in a secular bull or bear, is like understanding whether it's winter or summer. Yeah. You know, and when it's winter, then you know what to do. You take a coat, you take boots, you get snow tires. You don't expect it to be safe and lovely all the time, right? And if you can get your mind around that, then you will adjust your method accordingly. And um, it's okay to, to, to buy when valuations are, you know, uh, if you don't sell when they're overvalued again, then you're just going to ride that cycle back down. And, and that's, you know, not getting you anywhere, and it's dangerous. Well, this gets us to an issue, and, and we have only got about three minutes left, unfortunately, because there's so many more things to ask you about. But this gets back to this issue of how can we overcome the impulses. Uh, the impulse uh, in a bull market, it's very difficult to sell in when everybody is gaining more and more confidence. It's very difficult to buy in at the bottom of a market when there's just gloom everywhere. I mean, I've been yes. through these things. I've been through the 1982 uh, bear market, and I can remember I never wanted to own stocks again, and yet looking back, that was the most opportune time in my life to buy stocks. Yes. How do we overcome the impulses? I mean, this is uh, probably part the of the most art of it is to not lose us. with the down cycle because once you've lost a lot, your emotions just take over. And I would tell you, Jay, that's pretty much the case for every human being. Mm-hmm. No matter what they tell you about, you know, oh, it wouldn't bother me if this thing dropped yeah. 20 or 30, I'll just hold on. I've heard that from people. I've never seen anybody that it doesn't bother a ton. So the first thing you have to do is be an adult, be very aware of the climate, and realize that you must take chips off the table before others or you will go down with them. Mm-hmm. And that means that you will not be perfect in your timing, yeah. that you may well leave money on the table for a bit while uh, a, a while longer, but that's uh, that's what you have to do. You know, it's like uh, you have to do certain things to survive well and to make certain relationships successful well. This is another one. If you're going to be investing, you better define your rule set in advance and realize that you're going to have to leave before the rest, and then you'll have the psychological strength. And you also have to define the rules in advance because if you don't have any rule set, you won't know. You'll stay. You'll crowd follow, which everybody does. You'll get hurt, and then you'll be afraid, and you'll sell at the bottom. You have to really turn that process on its head, and that takes a certain amount of of work, reading, educating yourself, understanding my book's a good start, my blog I write constantly, you know, every week to try and help people with an assessment of where they are in this cycle. But, uh, you know, a lot of the right financial advice is nothing to do with how much you should have in equities. It's actually to do with all the planning and and accumulation phase that goes before that and how to protect it. Danielle, unfortunately, we're out of time. I want to ask you, uh, give our listeners your blog so they can follow your work there. Sure, jugglingdynamite.com. Jugglingdynamite.com. And we I have would mention, readers all over the world. I would mention to our listeners also, get this book, uh, Juggling Dynamite, uh, Danielle Park. And, and uh, page 95, for example, is an excellent, uh, there's an excellent illustration there that sort of suggests what kind of stocks you should buy or what kind of investments you should make during different cycles. This is a very practical book. It's also a book that uh, provides some some very, very good insights into human behavior and how you can optimize your your love of life and stay healthy and so forth. Danielle, thank you very much for being with us. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and I hope to have you back again sometime soon. Thanks, Jay. It was great. 
Thanks. Uh, don't go away, folks. We're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to talk about the potential for confiscation of gold. Is it a reality? Is it something that we need to be worried about or not? Julian Phillips will be with us right after the commercial break. Don't go away. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, Insights. Call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The